This episode is sponsored by Vision Trust. Vision Trust is an organization that provides essential support in the areas of health, education, and spiritual development to children and adolescents living in poverty around the world. Vision Trust is brimming with female role models who are investing in the next generation of women. Their love is defiant. It stands strong against all odds, and yours can too. Join us in raising up confident young women that embrace their God-given talents to create a better future for us all. Learn more at visiontrust.org forward. Welcome back to Work, Love, Pray, Real Talk, Grounded in Truth. I'm Jordan Johnstone. In our last episode, you met Carrie Latticer, a movement maker herself in the lives and roles of professional and spiritual leadership around the country. Carrie and I spent the previous episode talking about why the world needs more women-led movements, and Carrie wrapped up the last episode discussing seven shifts that will result when a woman is leading a movement in her sphere of influence. In this episode, Carrie and I go deeper into those seven shifts and use them to further define how a movement maker should structure their movement in order to not just see it be successful, but also see it make the difference in the world that it was intended to make from its inception. Let's jump back into our conversation with Carrie. Leading a movement, no matter what it is, means that you have to be a leader. And for some of our listeners, that might actually be the biggest obstacle that's holding them back. So how do you view the leadership that's best for movement makers? Yeah. You know, my own journey on this topic, like I I worked in um, one of the most prominent, most influential churches in North America that's shaped a paradigm of church around the world. And it had a pretty intensive, what we called leadership culture. And um, during my time there, I actually got pretty wounded trying to speak up about some injustice within the culture there. And there was some organizational betrayal, like as a result of that. And that kind of dismantled most of the imagination that I had for what leadership was, at least at that time, what I had been trained that leadership was. And that really set me on a journey of kind of trying to actually redefine what is leadership and what does it mean to be a leader. And I think even what I would say, decolonize my own mind about what leadership is. And so I think that's a part of what can hold women back is not having done the work to define what is leadership. And I think when we are able to like decolonize our minds and think differently about what it actually means to lead, what it actually means to have the best intentions in mind for the people that you're responsible for stewarding, for the vision that you're or purpose that you're responsible for stewarding. I think that shifts our thinking from like leadership is just being the one out front, being the best and sort of talking a lot about it to no, I'm going to help, um, unleash or allow systems to emerge that will uplift everyone here when everyone here is engaged in this, when everyone not always gets to have their way, but gets to have their way heard. Um, when we, when my role as the leader is to be the tide that lifts all boats, not just the one that's doing it the best and, and performing out in front of everyone that changes how we approach what it is that we're doing. And so I think the, 
the view of leadership, whatever your own definition of leadership really matters when it comes to how you're going to unleash your gifts and the gifts of those around you. And I would propose there's a shift happening, um, particularly with women, but I hope broader than that in the church and in the marketplace, that being the leader isn't being the smartest person in the room. Being the leader is being the person who asks the best questions. Uh, being the leader is the person who lifts the purposes of everyone around them, not just unintentionally objectifies the people around them for their own purposes. Well, and I think too, it's, you know, being a leader that leads in that way, you're remembering how important community is, you know, and that community doesn't just mean in your personal life, you know, I mean, it also has a place in your professional life. So I I love that example. I love picturing that. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes we think being an impactful leader means that you've built this just massive and impressive empire that has your name just emblazoned on the front of it. But you, you tend to think that great leaders build something a little bit different, right? Totally. I think great leaders are less concerned about their own image, their own brand, their own self-promotion. In fact, I think we see this a lot in women because they're not conditioned or cultured to be self-promoting in ways that men happen to be more socialized and conditioned for. I think women build ecosystems of flourishing where there's partnership and reciprocity and there's a generative nature to the relationship in how we steward whatever it is that we're called to. There's partnership that's available. I think women tend to lean towards more towards ecosystems and not just empires um, with their name on the front of the building. I think uh, Shalane Flanagan, who is an Olympic winner runner, is a great example of this. When she trained um, to run the New York City Marathon, she crossed the finish line in two hours and 26 minutes, which was like unheard of. She was one of the greatest American distance runners ever. But the New York Times did a write-up on her and said that maybe her biggest accomplishment in that was how she nurtured and promoted all of the talent around her. And something like sports that can be like such a cutthroat industry, you know, she's at the front running the fastest. 11 of the women, I think it was all of the women who trained with her made it to the Olympics. So there was something about the way that she led that was not just about like her name and her gold. It was about this ecosystem of thriving women around her that she wanted to see. And in some ways she defined her own success on the success of those around her. That's more ecosystem than empire type leadership. Yeah. When you're working on building this movement, should you worry about competition, you know, like what you're talking about, or should we focus on finding collaboration with others who share our goals or mindset? And I guess another piece of that too is how can you be mindful of maybe some potential sabotage within the people yeah. that movement? Yeah. Um, I want to be clear about kind of what I perceive on this one. And I don't mean this in a way that knocks men, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think in general, patriarchy is something that I, I perceive to be sort of a system of evil that harms men and women. That's very prevalent in our culture. Um, it's a way of being that we sometimes operate within without even realizing how it's shaping us. But one of the sort of consequences of the way that patriarchy works is it tends to pit people against one another. Um, in some in some more male-driven leadership environments, there's a lot of ego, there's a lot of competition, there's a lot of one-upping. And what that sort of competition does for men and for the women that somehow get a seat at the table, 
a seat at the table in those spaces is it breeds competition and competition breeds scarcity. But when we can approach leadership cultures as collaborative, as imagining like the answer can come when all of us in the room shape this and actually the answer from the collective is going to be better than my answer. I'm a really strategic thinker. I'm a great activator, but never is my idea the best idea when I can bring other people around that. And so when when ego and competition can sort of take a back seat and we're able to approach something collaboratively, even saying like, this is a team win. This does not need to be a, a com- competitive sort of reporting on who's first or who got the biggest sales this month or, you know, I think data is important, but when we're able to approach problem solving or visioning or strategizing with a collaborative nature, we're actually able to unleash abundance and we can move from sort of that scarcity mindset of competition and running over one another into abundance where we're owning something together. There's collaboration and there's empowerment that comes with that. I think pre-pandemic, there was research that said 70 to 80% of employees are disengaged in their job. And I think that number has gotten higher, but I don't, uh, I don't remember the most recent study. But when we are able to approach things with collaboration and not competition, people feel empowered and people actually own solutions that they help create and then they want to run with them. And no longer are we having to like fire people up and get them running. We're actually sometimes having to pull them back because they feel so empowered and like such owners. So there's just a real shift when we can approach leadership as wanting to unlock collaboration instead of use competition to sort of, I don't know, motivate people. Um, You show up in a different way. You can move from scarcity to real abundance in how you think about solutions and pursue taking new ground within your purpose. How should movement makers make decisions about their movement's ultimate destination? Because that's also going to come into play you know, when you are gathering up your team around you? Yeah. Um, this is another one that I think for me, this has been years on the journey of leading in a way that certainly institutes like rational thinking, institutes data, looks at the research, you know, wants to do um, research studies or know what's happening in the field and things like that. But What's so interesting to me in sort of the leadership world is that for years, again, I think some of our male-dominated paradigms for leadership have really prioritized what we would call rational thinking. Um, There's all sorts of like leadership quizzes and tests and things that you can do to, you know, understand your strengths and weaknesses. And are you more intuitive or how are you, you know, wired to lead? And some of the new research on this, particularly when it comes to emotional health, says that rational thinking isn't really a thing um, that all of us have emotions and intuition that are helping to shape ways that we've made decisions or ways that we're thinking about decisions, stories we're telling ourselves about how we interpret data. Um, Rational thinking is just leaders who are disconnected from those parts of themselves. And it's actually more dangerous to just lead an organization or a team with only rationally minded thinking when you're disconnected from the emotional parts, when you're disconnected from the intuitive wisdom inside, when you're disconnected even from having empathy for the impact or the consequence of how you're driving your organization or how you're leading your team. And so I think this has been really interesting data for me because. Again, for a long time, we prioritize rational thinking as if that was sort of supreme, when the reality is rational thinking may be the most misinformed way of thinking. When we as movement makers and decision makers and leaders are able to connect with our intuition 
And some, in some ways, that's where some of our best ideas about solutions or our best dreams and visions about what could be in the world comes from our intuition or comes from our sort of inner wisdom. And so when we're able to lead fully connected to all of those parts of ourselves, we're equipped to make better decisions. And this isn't just Carrie's touchy-feely indigenous nature coming out. This is like backed by data and research that says, no, more than just rational thinking, emotional health, um, empathy, intuition. And when all of those things get activated and incorporated into our leadership, we're equipped to make more informed, more potent leadership decisions. And I feel like though this goes back to, you know, we talked in, I think the previous episode about how women, we've kind of been programmed to act certain ways. And so how do women put into action, you know, being empathetic, using their emotional health and not come up against, you know, the, oh, women are just emotional. Like, you know, <laughs> how do we, how yeah. do we, how do we get over that? How do we get past that? Yeah. Oh, that is such a good question. And I think one, we have to give ourselves permission to invite those parts of ourselves to the table. Mm-hmm. I have found in my own leadership journey that, um, the times that I feel like that trope about emotional women is true is when I have not tended to my own emotions and then they get bottled up and then they come out sideways in some way. So I think the best gift that we can give to our teams, to those that we lead to our organizations is to pursue our own emotional health first. And when we're able to do that and be in touch with, you know, I had a really rough day yesterday and there were some things I was really angry about. And there were some things that I was really sad about. And I had to take a walk and actually talk to a friend and do the work to process and to validate my own anger and my own frustration. And had I not done that, an intense meeting that I have today around the boardroom, those emotions could come out sideways. <laughs> and so I think that the number one best gift that we can do is to tend to those parts of our, ourselves. And when we do that, we're able to provide safety, one, for ourselves, but also safety for those that we lead, for men and women on our teams to to call in or invite in, Hey, I'm sensing there's something going on with you deeper than just what's happening right now. Um, to to be aware that when we're leading someone, yes, we're leading them at work, but we're also leading their whole selves and what's happening at home in their family life or grief that they're navigating over losing a parent or financial obstacles, you know, they're, they're a whole person. And when we're able to be in touch with our whole selves, we're able to lead people more effectively in that way they will feel cared for. They will care about the mission of the organization more. And chances are good that they're going to stay engaged and stay with your organization longer. So I don't say that we should lead that way just because it does lead to good outcomes. I think we should lead that way because we should be whole and healing people that want to see people on our teams be whole and healing. But the byproduct of that is that we're going to make better decisions and that people are going to stick around longer when we're able to lead from that place. So I think that programming tends to tell us a story as women that we need to cut ourselves off from those parts of us. And maybe what I'm saying is I think we need to welcome those parts of us and get really in touch with them and not try to squelch them. And then they come out sideways, but a lot like process them and stay present with them and that we will be more whole effective leaders and call people to that within our organization. Yeah. Well, it's, it's lead like Christ. I mean, that's what he did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To some vulnerable leadership. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, which is more impactful when you are launching a movement and then you're leading that movement? Transactional leadership 
or transformational leadership? Yeah. Gosh, I, coming out of the predominant organization that I mentioned where leadership was like a really high value and we, um, we focused pretty intensely on results. When this harm from a leader within that organization came out, I just noticed that there was a lot of kind of stories that we told ourselves or narratives that were built that said, yeah, 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 these things were bad. This abuse that was uncovered was bad, but look at all the good we did. And I think at first glance, we can tell ourselves stories like that, like, yeah, look at the good we did. And and then that forces us to sort of scale. Um, well, what, what's worse, you know, the good that we did. And is that worth the harm that we did? And I don't think that that's an equation in God's kingdom that we are invited to navigate. I think within God's kingdom, how we do what we do matters as much, if not more than what we do. How we embody our beliefs within God's kingdom matters as much, if not more than if we totally believe right. And so I think, um, Transactional leadership can sometimes look at the bottom line, can be attentive to if things are moving up and to the right, are we producing at the level, is the profit margin where we want it to be? I think transformational leadership will also take a step back and say, is what we're producing harmful to the environment in ways that we want to be held accountable to? Um, are we are we objectifying our employees to get them to produce more and more and more and the bottom line is increasing, but their health is diminishing? Which actually in the big picture, then if we have people leaving and a revolving door of staff costs us more money, you know, in ways that may not show up. And, um, so I think transformational leadership is totally more potent than transactional leadership. And I think it requires us to look at the big picture, to have more holistic view over what we're doing and how we're doing it. And I've just seen time and time again, when we're attentive to the how, when we don't operate within these ideas that the ends justify the means, when we care about the means as much as we care about the ends, we lead more robust, uh, more fruitful movements in the kinds of impact that can get activated and unleashed from transformational leadership, not just transactional leadership. That's more kingdom oriented. It's more anointed by God's spirit. And I just think it has the more potential to lead to the flourishing of all people, which again is what we're called to do as believers, as followers of Jesus. That was the work and ministry of Jesus was to bring God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. That's the invitation for Christ's followers to bring God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. And so that means that the invitation is for us to embody those values of God's kingdom. And when we do, we can't, we can't actually stop our leadership from being transformational. It just might not look like some of the paradigms that the world would say are transactional models. It it might not look like those. And I think there's a lot of, um, really good permission and invitation for us, particularly as women with the ways we're cultured and socialized and particularly in this moment when there's such a longing for a different way and there's so much potential for a more hope-filled way to break through. After a movement has launched, you know, even if you are embracing fully this transformational leadership model, there are Mm -hmm. still going to be, you know, milestones, checkpoints, you know, that the movement leader should be dedicated to checking in with, you know, to make sure that you haven't veered off course. So what would those look like? And then if you, you check yourself against these and you find out, okay, maybe we've gone a little astray, you know, what should you do at that point? 
Yeah, totally. I, when I do coaching and consulting work with team leaders, with organizational leaders, with the nomination leaders, I'd love to have both quantitative and qualitative ways of checking in on this. Um, I wrote a book called Together as a Team that's all about values-based leadership. And the quantitative stuff is important because numbers and data help us tell a story, right? They help frame in black and white, um, which areas need attention, which areas need improvement, what's thriving, what's barely surviving. You know, they, they tell a story. But more than just the quantitative data points. We need qualitative data points as well. And I love to coach teams on defining what their values are Mm -hmm. and then um, seeking to embody those values as a team when decisions get made. And I think what we actually find is that all of us, as we're making decisions, whether it's a decision within your family, whether it's a decision within your workplace, we have this sort of internal grid through which we're making decisions, right? Those are our values. And when we do work as a team to define our values, to sort of make these covenants or these commitments for how we're going to function together, that also provides a data point for us to check in those milestones or checkpoints along the way to decide how are we doing. And you could have really good quantitative data and then qualitatively stop and check in and spend some time sort of defining reality with your team and realize you're not actually living into your values. That flourishing as a value, you want your staff to flourish, that's not being lived into because people are working 75 hours a week. And quantitatively, it's leading to results. But there's a yellow light here to say we are not embodying our values in the ways that we want, and it's going to hinder flourishing. So this is not sustainable what course corrections do we need to make along the way? Um, So I I propose having those checkpoints is critically important. Teams I coach, I do this kind of longer term planning with annually, and then there's quarterly check-ins. I think there's questions as leaders individually, we should be asking ourselves regularly about our health as much as our growth. And I think there's questions teams should be asking that should be both quantitative and qualitative to say, are we embodying the values that we espouse? And if there's a gap, why are these things actually not true about us? And we need to rewrite the values or are we making decisions that are not in alignment with who we want to be? And we need to course correct on how we're making decisions so we can actually embody these values. I tend to think that the truth is the kindest form of love we can offer someone. And as leaders, we've got to be willing to both hear truth, um, receive truth, speak truth. And so I think those checkpoints, as you're saying, are critically important, but having them be both quantitative and qualitative is really important if you want to embody more transformational leadership than transactional leadership. Do you have examples of what some of those questions are that somebody should ask? Um, Personally, like individually or as an organization? Um, you know, you said like, here's some things that teams should ask, you know, to make sure that things are going well. And then I guess, you know, from a leadership perspective, you know, what should you be asking yourself and then turning around maybe asking your other leaders as well? Yeah, totally. Um, from a team perspective, I think whatever sort of reporting you're doing as a team on the quantitative metrics, come up with a, a handful of qualitative questions that you can ask your team. Um, I have like a leadership assessment that I like to do with teams that's sort of a cultural assessment that helps people step back and ask some high level questions like, is the mission or purpose of what we're doing clear? Um, Can I tell how my contribution to this team or this organization actually leads to that mission being fulfilled? 
am I running at a pace that is sustainable? Or are we as a team running at a pace that's sustainable? Teams I've done coaching work with to actually define their values. It becomes really easy to figure out what questions should we be asking regularly to determine if we're living into those values. Um, I think of a, a church team that I coached in Michigan, and one of their values is that they want to be innovative. And so I will ask them sometimes, are we failing enough? because if we're not failing, if we're not having to like, oh man, that totally blew up and it did not work in the way that we thought. And what can we learn from it? So we can incorporate that moving forward. That tells me we're not really trying to be innovative. We're not really trying experiments. We're not really doing things innovative as frequently as we would like. And so then that drives the question, well, are we innovative or are we comfortable Mm -hmm. (laughs) or are we just running really great experiments? And that's why we haven't failed in a while, but that's one way, you know, to like an example to say, if, if you know what your values are, um, or if, if health is a value for your team, great. Are people using vacation time? Mm-hmm. Um, are we checking in with one another spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, mentally, you know, are we providing resources to our staff team to grow in their health? Are there mental health resources available to them? Do we encourage them to not send emails on the weekends? You know, it's really less about what I think your values should be, but when, when a team does work to define what their values are, to ask those questions regularly and consistently to just say, are we living into our values? Why or why not? And if we are, how are we celebrating that? And if we're not, how are we course correcting? Or were we just off about our values? You know, do we need to redefine what they are? And then I think individually as leaders, one of the greatest points of coaching I got from a mentor almost 20 years ago was to to understand my own sort of lights on the dashboard, if you will, Mm -hmm. and to have questions that I'm checking in with myself on those. So for me, it's like, when is the last time that I laughed? Mm -hmm. (laughs) When is the last time that I like experienced so much joy that I laughed? What is the last thing that I baked? That is like something that is just such a hobby for me that I'll go do. Am I working out regularly? If I don't have that sort of physical way of getting energy out, I feel like there's a hulk inside of me that needs to come out sometimes. And so I have my own list of those questions. Um, Who's speaking into my life right now? Um, Whose life am I speaking into? Both of those things are really important to me. So I think there are questions we should be asking ourselves as leaders. What are those indicator lights on the dashboard? And then I have a couple of things for me, like if there's a week that I'm running so hard and so fast, my phone is dying, my car is out of gas, I'm getting frustrated in traffic. Those are all really just kind of yellow lights for me that go, okay, I have to put more margin in my schedule because I'm just not doing the basic things that I need to do to keep my life running smoothly. Um, And I would invite leaders to explore what are those things for you? What are those unique and specific things Did I find myself checking out when my kid was talking to me this week? Um, Have I not been on a date with my partner in weeks or months? Am I doing things? And I think particularly for me, am I doing things that bring me joy or delight or rest that are not things that I just have to do for myself or Mm -hmm. for someone else? Mm -hmm. Those types of questions to understand, are you living with your heart alive? Um, Are you doing things that you get to do and not just things that you have to do? I think no one else is going to tend to those things for us as leaders and as women. And so it's just really important for us to establish rhythms within which we're able to ask those questions because everything that we do flows from who we are and it matters how we tend to ourselves and how we're caring for ourselves. So what I'm hearing is when you launch a movement, if you want it to 
continue on the path that you have seen for it, focus more on those values than your goals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we are at the end of our time and I always love to ask this question. When you think about everything we've talked about, what is one thought or piece of advice that you want our listeners to remember most? Mm, Yeah. I think I would want to share just what I've learned on my own journey that you have wise, grounded, spirit-led, profound intuition, that wisdom within that wants to be unlocked and unleashed. And you have everything inside of you and your God-given gifts that he wants to activate for whatever movement he's calling you to steward. And so don't question that. Don't second guess that. Give yourself all the permission in the world to be open to unleashing whatever that vision is that God's put inside of your heart. I, I don't think that God stirs those vision and, and passions if it's not because it's something the world desperately needs and something you are uniquely positioned to bring into this world for the sake of the flourishing of all. So I believe in you and I hope that you're able to connect with that deep, deep belief that the spirit of God has for you and can't wait to see what comes from it. What was your biggest takeaway from Carrie's insights over the past two episodes? Let us know by leaving a review on your preferred listening platform or leave a comment when we share this episode on Forward Social Media. For more information about today's episode, just go to forwardwomen.org slash podcast. That's the number four, W-O-R-D-W-O-M-E-N.org slash podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to Work, Love, Pray on your favorite listening platform and leave us a review. Your review will help more people discover Work, Love, Pray, so your feedback is greatly appreciated. As you move forward on your journey to work, love, and pray well, don't forget to make time for real talk grounded in truth.